this is the room in which most of the podcasts were ever recorded because they were straight to my tablet. Uh, but we're, we're back. And uh, for those that don't know what this is, we used to do a, a podcast called Interjections, which it is still titled. But uh, I was the co-host, Tristan Moore, with our esteemed colleague, uh, Corey Taylor. How you doing, guys? And uh, we'd often have our frequent guests, Jimmy and uh, Jeff, join Hello. us. Hello. Go. And so we would usually talk about movies, and we'd interject over each other. And it was generally uh, new movies, uh, but we try to see some older stuff. And if anything, the pandemic has had us look inwards and discover our past. Uh, but really, Corey brought it up towards the end of that podcast. Uh, he was having trouble finding that everything was kind of garbage that was coming out. I was disenchanted by the current state of film. Yeah, I'm, I looked back at a lot of our posts uh, on our website. And when I was tweeting what the podcast was about, it was like, well, Corey and I watched three terrible films this week. That's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> so uh because it's theme week it's awfulness yeah because often there was one movie a month that would be good so right uh we were getting disenchanted and it made sense to pause and then the pandemic came up and killed movies anyway so except for trolls world tour (laughs) um changed the world to the point we started thinking about what if we did themes per podcast and maybe we slowed it down and we did it once a month so we figured this is june's edition uh june 2020 and we thought what if we go back to the 1990s when we were very young we rediscover movies that we never saw and maybe ones that we loved uh from our childhood and then we discuss that mainly and then talk about what it was like back then in that month so every month, we're going to take one month from the decade and keep going, see how long we go. I had the idea, maybe we, uh, if we need to speed up a little bit, maybe we have two a month. If we need to pause for a month, we come back. It's just at our own pace. So it's still kind of like a, a journal for us to talk about movies. But if you're interested, obviously, we are going to be talking about the 90s. So if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> No colors yet. But, yeah, I know. It's yeah. episode one. But uh, our first... And from Poughkeepsie, you're on the line. Our first edition is for the movie Tremors, because we looked at everything that came out in January 1990, and most of it was trash, just like January movies tend to be. I mean, that's when Doolittle came out. So, um, but yeah, so we're here to talk about Tremors mainly. Yeah, um, some of the other films that uh, came out this month, we'll do a rundown. Sure. Um, Leatherface 3, which was New Line's attempt to acquire every horror franchise after they had such uh, success with Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, They also acquired um, Friday the 13th, Critters, a bunch of other horror franchises, and then everything goes to space at some point. Uh, Leatherface 3, probably the nadir of the trilogy, but not the worst one. That would be years later with Texas Chainsaw 3D. Oh, man. Yeah, it's classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Downtown, a uh, 
buddy action comedy starring Forrest Whitaker and Anthony Edwards, directed by Richard Benjamin. Now, has anybody heard of this movie? Nope. Only when I looked this up. <laughs> Barely made a blip on the radar. Not very. It's uh, it's almost like a second tier running scared, which in and of itself was not a very memorable buddy cop movie. Yeah. Um, Ski Patrol, which sounds like it should be a raunchy sex comedy, but it's only rated PG. Really? Yeah. Yeah, just looking at the poster, it's like well, you, almost naked babes running around a ski lodge. You got away with a lot more with a PG rating in 1990, though. You That's true. PG-13 hadn't existed by then, so. Yeah, I think it, it comes in with uh, Indiana Jones and the, uh, what's the one with the heart? That's why things are PG. Temple of Doom. Yeah, I think PG-13 That's kicked when off it came in the in. 80s. Yeah, before that movie. It's because yeah. of the heart. Right. Like, uh, if, you, if you look at movies like Jaws, that was PG. It came out in the uh, 70s. Yeah. Right. And it's the 45th anniversary today while we're recording, actually. I just saw that. Wow. Right we started. Yeah. Brand new 4K restoration, too, from what I hear. It's really good. Yeah. Um, internal Affairs, which we're probably going to touch on a little bit later. Uh, if you keep watching our post, I'm going to post a uh, underrated gems about this movie. Uh, it's one of Richard Gere's best roles, in my opinion. Um, it's him and Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia is a cop who's intent on... Um, finding the corrupt activities of Richard Gere's character, but he's so slick somehow he always circumvents the system. Uh, directed by Mike Figgis, oddly enough, who's not really known for doing uh, genre pieces. Yeah, what else did he do? Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Dude, that's why um, he's been around in a while. He did, uh, <clears throat> then there was also Everybody Wins, a murder mystery written by Arthur Miller, based on one of his plays, starring Nick Nolte and Deborah Winger. Never seen this movie. Never heard of it. Yeah. And from what I've seen, based on the reviews, it got critically panned when it came out. Hmm. So. Not surprised then. Nobody won. And then uh, there's another movie, but we're not going to talk about yeah. that. We'll do that. Do you want to do that now before we uh, get into the main feature? Sure. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll show this to Jeff. I'll bring this up on my screen. Uh, this is the poster for this other movie. Oh, we're doing this now. Okay. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. all right. <laughs> Are you caffeinated enough? Are you ready? God, no. Yeah. I think we have a good there one for you this month. Welcome to the future. <laughs> it's right. terrifying. So now it's all of us. Oh, here we go. Oh, no. There we go. So there you go. I blurred out the title. <laughs> you, you have nothing to lose except your mind. This is interesting. I didn't notice this quote at the bottom. Joe Bob Riggs. And I'm wearing the Joe Bob Riggs shirt. Oh, that's funny. Uh, check it out. That gives you nothing. All right. Uh, Bill Pullman. Bill Paxton. The two Bills. Yeah, the two Bills. I'm gonna give Shame you there was never a movie made about them. Let's give them a, let's give them a minute and a half. A minute and a half. So, so Jeff has to figure out, this figure out. Figure out the time. I have to try. Oh God. <laughs> he, has to, he has to tell. So, us hang the on plot. for the for those well, of you who. Plot. Yeah, tell us those, the plot. The plot. The plot or the okay. All right. So, for for those of you who can't see the video or the screen, I'm looking yeah. at a dude who's got. It looks like the front of his face is nailed to the inside of a ring. Metal ring. Yeah. Metal ring. 
and he's well, almost screaming, looks like a symphony drum. It's, yeah, it's, and it, and his face is like stretched all out, uh, all up. Almost yeah, like and it and it. Oh yeah, so his facial expression is less that of horror and more like nineteen fifties reefer madness style horror. Yeah. Where? All right, ready? Uh, okay, all right. I'm gonna time you. All right. Tell us what the I've plot. Se- I've seen this movie, so I can uh, right. give a little. All right. You have nothing to lose except your mind. I don't. That's the tagline. I have. I'm just gonna say like ringleader. I don't. I don't know what <laughs> the title. It's about. It's some sort of Hellraiser knockoff. I'm imagining, but with a bit of buddy cop comedy. <laughs> by this this facial expression. The two bills are buddy cops. <laughs> I don't know, man. Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. It's it's got to be it's got to be some sort of like they were trying to cash in on Twister before Twister was Twister. Like well, that's this, this is proto. Corey, does he have anything right so far? Uh, that the two bills are in it, but you can look at the poster and uh, infer that. I mean, it's this guy clearly was not expecting this to happen today. Um, but he doesn't seem too perturbed by it either. Hashtag one of those days. Right. Yeah. Uh, I honestly I'm, have no I'm idea guessing. what this is about. Corey's the only one that knows the synopsis. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Me and I did not look this up beforehand. It's like that Doctor Who episode with the, the lady with the skin stretched out and that's moisturize oh me. Like that's that's You wanna put him out of his No, sure. no we, we, you know no, let's keep going. He's got no. a time limit. Uh, do I have a time? How much time do I have? I'll give you another 30 seconds. Oh, boy. Well, hang on. Joe Bob Briggs said that it was four stars, which means, I mean, honestly, I don't know what his taste in movies are. So Usually it means that there's at least breasts and uh, blood. So Cool. Uh, I honestly, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> oh, well. No, wait, wait. Hey there, face here. The movie. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so it's called Brain Dead. Yeah. And what's it about, Corey? Because I heard... it's a psychological thriller <laughs> that has uh, Bill Pullman as a research uh, scientist who's trying to find out what causes mental illness. One of his childhood friends is Bill Paxton who's trying to get, uh, it's almost like Inception in a way, he's trying to get the secrets of Bug Court's character who's undergone a mental breakdown. So they need to perform brain surgery on him in order to get the uh, the information out of his head. Uh, along the way, it becomes a little more paranoid because then Bill Pullman starts to have delusions and he becomes an unreliable narrator thinking he might be the subject of uh, experimentation. So, yeah, it's uh, sure. It's based on a old Roger Corman script from the 60s that got revived in the 90s. That explains everything. Well, Julia, Julie Corman uh, was credited on that poster. So apparently they got, a, I guess they were executive producers, de facto ones. But she a daughter or a wife or something? I think that's his wife. I could be wrong. Okay, yeah. That's interesting, though. I had no idea. I was going to say, this movie is going to be hard to uh, describe in a nutshell because it goes off in so many different directions. It has a little bit of Jacob's Ladder in it. Okay. And that poster gives nothing away. 
Well, that's there's no scene that looks like that. I just want to see Jeff or hear Jeff uh, flail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, As you do. Fun of Poster Boy. So that's what we're gonna call it. It, it sounds like it sounds like this movie is like worth its own expansion discussion <laughs> at a later date. Maybe. And that poster that would, kind that would, of makes it look uh, look a little campy, like almost like Brazil in a way. Yeah. But it's it's very solemn and melodramatic. Weird. Interesting. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. No, it's not. It's too bad. It's played very straight poker faced. Um, you know what is not straight? In is Jimmy, that's not a song from the nineties. I know. Yeah, we only do nineties things here. Uh, poker face. I don't know. It seemed like a movie that like Paulie Shore would not have been out of place in, judging by that poster. <laughs> in brain surgery now. Well, as it were, I was trying to say that what was candy was Tremors. So oh, yeah. We'll talk about our main feature. Well, oh, you say campy, though? Uh, uh, I'm tremoring thinking about tremors. Uh, so, Corey had seen this before. Uh, Jimmy had seen this before, but it was new to both Jeff and I. And Jimmy rewatched with me. I don't know if you rewatched it all, Corey. I did rewatch it, yeah. yeah. Uh, My opinion hasn't changed much. That's all fresh in our minds. I don't know. Did you like it, Corey? Uh, when I was a kid, I was fonder of it. As I grow older, I think it's a little tame. I can see that. Uh, I think it works better in concept than it does in execution. I think, for, for one, I think the design of the Graboids is very uncreative. And I think partly that's because of the Spielberg principle with Jaws and E.T. where you have to identify with the eyes. Mm-hmm. And these graboids don't have eyes, which is part of the premise. Well, I understand. Apparently, in development of the graboids, I'm going to have some fun facts. Um, when they made it, they just had a like dry shell, and like the big head would poke out, and all the crew members just kept calling it the giant penis. <laughs> so they had to add it those like, and they made it like sweatier, so it could move easier on set. So even before the tentacles, it got worse. So that's why. I've, there's other aspects to it, and some of them look different. At the end of our review, I can give a little retrospective on the whole series. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a lot of facts on that, um, unless you wanted to go through it. I mean, I just brought a bunch of stuff up. I just want like to said, We could talk about that at the end of uh, giving yeah. our opinions on this one. but um, Let me give a brief plot, since we uh, sure. might have people that don't know what this is about. But, right. Um, I sure didn't. Yeah, basically there are two um, just like day workers played by Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon. And they're uh, they're longing for a better existence. They live in this small town of uh, Paradise, is it? Or is yeah. it? Yeah. yeah it's below. No, it's Perfection. Perfection. Okay. perfection. Yeah. Paradise was the restaurant in Big Night I just saw. So, <laughs> um, so they're in Perfection, Nevada. And it's got a population of like 12 people. And they're like, we're never going to go anywhere. We have these research assistants coming to town and we kind of, and then they disappear. Like we, like they leave. Um, so we, we got to get out of here and go to a better place. Like we're, we're done with this life. And so they pack up and they're about to leave when all these strange things start happening where people are disappearing or getting murdered. 
and they don't know what's murdering them. They think there's a serial killer loose at first. They're not 100% sure. And then they start seeing the effects of what is basically like the worms from Dune because they're worms in Nevada. And uh, these things, the graboids, they can go underground. They follow your tremors. They can hear you talking or music from your car. Or just walking around. Yeah. They um, use echolocation. Yeah. They don't have eyes, which is to your point. Um, so they're kind of like moles or worms. Um, or graboids. There's this research assistant uh, who is from the local university that had been doing research on the tremors themselves, uh, played by Finn Carter, who never did anything else. Um, and she kind of teams up with them to try and escape and figure out what's going on. They have two gun nuts that are in town, played by Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre in her film debut. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they have a bunch of other characters in town. Uh, you got like your local entrepreneur who has like the watering hole played by Victor Wong of three ninjas fame. He's the grandfather. He's in a lot of John Carpenter films. Yeah. I forgot he was in Big, Big Trouble in Little China, right? Right. And Prince of Darkness. Uh-huh. But you got a bunch of people that are just around. Uh, so they, they have fodder for the graboids to eat. But basically it's the two main guys, Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon, trying to get out of there and save the rest of the residents. And they slowly but surely figure out ways to combat the effects of tremors so that they can escape or kill the graboids. They're just two good guys in a bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's such a trailer guy moment you just did, Chad. Is that is that actually the no no <laughs> that that doesn't accurate I mean it's that it gives nothing away and it's totally accurate <laughs> and but you know like the real hero here is Fred Ward because like oh, just his his one liners are just phenomenal yeah. he's got good chemistry with Kevin Bacon throughout the whole film yeah and the the one um, meme worthy moment for Kevin Bacon is after one of the graboids dies, and his delivery of "fuck you" is just so odd and over the top. Yeah. Um, I and mean, this was this was redneck, and this was ten years after uh, Friday the Thirteenth. That was his debut, and right? This, yeah. Wow. So it's weird. He's had a uh, a seminal horror movie in almost Every a decade. decade. Yeah. Stir I mean, of echoes in the 2000s. My my uh, own personal narrative of this was that it takes place after Footloose, and this is just what happens to Ren after Footloose. <laughs> this is <laughs> what happens when you outlaw dancing. It's, it's just the, the outskirts of Beaumont, and he never actually goes anywhere. So after high school, he just becomes a day worker and then has to save the world from... What better know. way to ostracize him than to put him in a place where he can't dance? Because <laughs> if he dances, he'll he, die. He yeah. did dance, though. He danced when he got shot at at one point. Yeah, that's true. I think maybe, or maybe others in the other movie. I don't know. Uh, I feel like the movie. I don't. Tell me what you guys think, but it looks like it's shot like a TV film. It, uh, it looks like a TV pilot. It's it not does, very stylish. It seems, yeah, it's it's hard it's to it's thin, thirty-five millimeter it's, layer back then. It's hard for me to reconcile with that sentiment right now especially considering like how much like visual data we received since that movie came out mm -hmm. but, like automatically i think it just looks 90s yeah uh, yeah but like it's time but 
No, I could see how it looks like it could be like a made-for-TV movie. Which is it, a TV show. Yeah, they did. Right. And a lot of the uh, sequel movies, like, basically just went straight to a sci-fi channel. So, like, Right. The, the thing that surprised me the most about it was, you know, to your point earlier, Corey, it was, I can imagine when you're a kid watching this and being absolutely terrified, like, the way that the poster made it seem and everything, it, it seemed like, I guess I was expecting, like, Slither, but in the desert. Yeah. Right, but yeah. It was, it was, it was, I had never seen a horror movie that took place in the entirety of the daytime. Oh, here's the actual Like, it was 99% during the day. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty novel. Which was interesting. And then, I think in that sense, it, like, kind of added to, not the camp factor, per se, but you took it less seriously. As, yeah, I like, a, when, when Tristan said it was campy, I don't think it's campy so much, but I think it has a sly okay. sense of humor about itself. So it's not yeah, taking it, itself it entirely knows. seriously. It knows. It's not meta or self-referential, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's aware of how uh, cheesy the premise is because it's a throwback to those 50s creature features. Right. So you were going to say something, Tristan? Oh, I said it. It's okay. Okay. It's too late now. He Damn. can't repeat. I interjected. And then it was I'm, I'm wondering what Jimmy's thoughts were since he had seen this already and how his opinions changed. Oh, I mean, you know, um, fly I mean that was a good good uh, good point that you made it was like it's a homage to basically to the uh, 50s uh, creature features uh, because it does feel like that and uh, when I was a kid after I'd watch a movie that I enjoyed guess what I did I went in the backyard with my friends and we reenacted the movies essentially so sure. like so did you just burrow underground? Yeah. Oh no no no! We just we just be running Chase around the backyard. Boy this week. Yeah. Well well well, where I lived, I had like a, a ditch that went across my backyard and my friends' backyards because like a, just channeled the water whenever it would rain. So like we would pick up the stones that were in the ditch. Those were like boulders, oh. and we basically play like play. you gotta stand. Yeah, on you gotta boulders. stand yeah. on the rocks. I like that aspect of it. That's actually where they came up with the idea. Yeah. The writers uh, were in the Navy as like documentarians. They were trying to make like a how-to video for the Navy, and they were standing on rocks. And one of them was like, "What if you couldn't get off the rock? Like the the thing is lava. What would happen if there were like land sharks and they were trying to come and get us? And that's how they came up with it. They huh. thought it could be land sharks, and then they found out there was that SNL parody. So they changed it to like worms, yeah. or just came up with like other creatures. And they actually used the director who had been a National Geographic documentarian. Wow. Developed the creatures, Ron Underwood. That was what he was doing before this. And this is his de debut film. And he came up with like, they were basically playing in their backyard yeah. and came up with this movie. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just now realizing now that I brought up the fact that I would reenact these movies, a lot of the 90s like sci-fi or horror, like all those movies were very reenactable Jurassic for Park. children, especially. Park, right. One of our favorite films, because we all ran around pretending there were dinosaurs in the forest. I mean, us. I pretended I was the dinosaur. Right. I was a velociraptor. Yeah. There are two types of kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're either a velociraptor or you're a Muldoon. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You're either a, vol a velociraptor or, 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 or you're just dead meat. 
Yeah. <laughs> the Velociraptor wins, period. All right. Unless there's a bigger kid in the uh, group and he's the T-Rex, then, you know, <laughs> I lose. It's ironic because Ariana Richards was in both of those uh, disaster films. The girl that played Lex. Oh, yeah. She's in this. Yeah. The girl that's bouncing on the pogo stick. Oh, yeah. See, tackle oh, the pogo when stick. Filming, when they were filming chase scenes with dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, she was actually giving uh, Sam Neill pointers. Yeah, she's she's been through this shit yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you feel about Burt Gummer? The character of Burt Gummer. It's such a different role for oh, Michael Gross no. if you knew him from Family Ties. Right. Uh, I had watched a little bit of it when I was a kid, and obviously I just saw Tremors, but I knew of Tremors, and so I kind of associated with him, okay, he's got these two decent roles, so I can understand he's going to be playing against type, so I knew it was coming, and I saw some of the TV show when it first came out back in 03. Right. In that. But, like, I, I understand, like, he almost has, he has a beard on Family Ties, so it's almost like he's proper when he's got facial hair. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And now he's become like the figurehead of the franchise. In fact, they're filming, uh, they're doing post on the newest one. Yeah, they finished um, it. Yeah, they just finished it and it should be coming out in the fall. But he, he became the main character for the whole franchise. Yeah. Because I guess he was the only one that wasn't quite big enough to leave it. Well, yeah. yeah. That's the funny thing about their career. Fred Ward came back. Fine. Fred Ward came back for the second one. Technically, Kevin Bacon came back for a pilot that was never aired. I was going to bring that up. Have you seen the trailer? It looks great. Oh, it looks like what this should have been. However, uh, our boy from Weeds, the, uh, what was his name? I'm blank. I wrote it down. I should have looked before I said something. But um, the kid, the older son from Weeds, Hunter Parrish. Yeah. Definitely ended that up. Uh, Hunter Parrish is in this, and he has the worst facial hair I've ever seen. I don't think any of it was real. He's the one that the graboid screams at in the trailer. Ah, uh, yeah. So. Um, and this and this movie was obviously this was before they got into a lot. Of, they depended more on CGI. Mm-hmm. So I, I had I have more affection for the the puppetry in this. There's a lot of scale models. You can tell, like obviously, when it goes through the canyon. But a lot of those were on set. Obviously, the one who com- that comes through the basement that yeah. they're unloading clips at is an actual puppet, almost yeah. like a well, Stan Winston puppet. Yeah. It looks pretty good. Well, that is an acolyte of Stan Winston, wasn't it? Or was he dead? Nah, yeah. It wasn't. It might have been Stan Winston's company. But uh, Jeff, Jeff knows the history behind this. I don't know if you know Amalgamated Dynamic. I don't know the history, but yeah. Uh, my roommate in college, uh, his dad was one of the founders of Amalgamated Dynamics, who does a lot of the, they did a lot of the creature effects for Tremors and Aliens and a lot of those movies. So in a weird roundabout way, I know the Graboid. Like six, I'm six, Facebook six degrees friends of Kevin Bacon? Six de- oh. Yeah. You're six degrees of Graboid. I'm six degrees. Oh. Right. I, yeah. I'm, I guess, what would that be? Two, three degrees? You know, <laughs> your friend, your friend's dad. You've met Tom Woodruff. Yes. So. Yeah. So three in his Tom house. Tom Woodruff Jr., yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the other guy is uh, Alec Gillis, uh, who's his partner. They've done everything together. Right. Yeah. Um, well, they like, designed, the, designed and operated the, the Graboids, um, 
and a bunch of other puppets. Woodruff's so, often in some of the creatures. Like, he's the alien in Alien yeah. Resurrection. He's the, he's the Gill Man in Monster Squad. Yep. Yeah, he was in a bunch of things. The Escape from Witch Mountain the remake that came out. He was the weird Frankenstein monster. So he's been uh, a bunch of stuff as the creature. They won yeah. an Oscar for Death Becomes Her, which we'll talk about in like 18 months, I guess. Yeah. Well, full, yeah. full of anecdotes. Movies from the 90s, and I'm like, I'll talk about you in nine years. Yeah. <laughs> it's going on the list. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I enjoyed this movie. I don't know if I would have loved it like 10 years ago, but I would have loved it as a kid. And I love it now, like in hindsight, as like, an artifact of its time right which is weird to think about i've like gone past will i just flatly enjoy this but i like kevin bacon uh for some reason i've watched three fred ward movies this year and mm. i had only seen one before this uh sweet home alabama i saw oh stuff this year yeah he's her dad in sweet home alabama i, I forgot saw, that we yeah. saw the right stuff for the first time back in like january right just watched this terrible movie. Well, it's not terrible. It's just really weird. Uh, called Catch Fire that Dennis Hopper directed, and he's the cop in it. And now I'm oh. um, so I'm like on a Fred Ward kick for some reason. Got to watch Miami Blues next. And I haven't seen anything else. So I got if you have any Fred Ward recommendations. Miami Blues, check that. I don't know, but like I'm all about that now. Yeah, he's. I I don't know how we missed him. It's actually a shame because based on this movie and some other movies, he should probably should have been a bigger star based on this and Remo Williams and stuff like that. But uh, I guess they were trying, and he just didn't like stick into supporting actors. Yeah. Do that when they don't seem to get the leading man, and he's got that like face that would be great for like a sidekick. He'd be a good grizzled action hero. He's got a side face. Oh yeah. Character actor that ended up having a bunch of leading roles. He'd be like the Frank Grillo of his day. Absolutely, yeah. I want to see like him and and uh, Bruce in some sort of like buddy comedy. Yeah, he's like seventy-eight now, I think, though. Yeah, well, I don't know. If there's still time. <laughs> but he hasn't done anything we'll, in five years, and it was two episodes of True Detective. Yeah. So. Uh, you know who who Fred Ward reminded me of. Um, the other cop in Walking Dead, the one who went on to become the Punisher. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, we were just Fun, wait. Wasn't uh, wasn't Fred Ward? Uh, um, he was he he was in the military, wasn't he? I think he was a little bit. Yeah, I think he might he might have actually served in Vietnam. Well, most yeah. actors prior to 1990 well, like, did. He reminds you of the guy he plays tough guys and yeah. this guy was a tough guy well, he looks like frank grillo he looks like the other guy that played the punisher so. i'd be surprised oh. if you even like knew he was acting they were just like listen we're there are these monsters running loose on this town and we're just gonna film it okay just do your thing just do you man the funniest thing that i had with fred ward was because he was around in the 90s i kept hearing his name but i also heard of fred willard at the same time because of all the waiting for <laughs> Christopher Guest movies, and yeah. so hearing, like Fred Ward's in a new movie, and like this is a drama. He's a comedian. Getting <laughs> <laughs> that there was another person named Fred with a W last name. So I thought they were like type having typos for Fred Willard. Oh, that's that's like me when I was a really really young child when I had le- first learned about Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. and then on the school bus I would always mix them up when we were talking about them on yeah. the bus, and kids would be like. 
You got it backwards. I'm like, what are you talking about? Didn't you like when he moonwalked to make that three-pointer? Wasn't that great? Oh, yeah, that was great. That was the best move ever. Yeah. So I guess the big set piece in the movie is the scene where they're all in the general store and they're hiding on the roof. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they, I think uh, Ron Underwood does a good job with the suspense in that scene. Uh, you get – and. I, I, yeah, because the town's so small, it's easy to get the spatial locations, uh, the spatial relations of where everybody's at. Yeah. Which is weirdly hard for most directors to get. Sometimes you'll see scenes like this and you'll be like, I'm not quite sure where this person is in relation to that one. So the the geography of everybody's a little spread out and scattered. But in this, it's very con- tight, concise. Have, have we all seen the Dawn of the Dead remake? Because that's kind of what it reminded me of when that one guy is across the street, the gun nut. Right. Like, communicating with him and stuff. It reminded me of that. But this is nice because, like, all the houses are right there. So the one guy that's in his yard is just, like, it puts a little tension because you, you want to save him. But Right. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, one of, one of my... Um, deciding factors on like whether or not a movie qualifies as like a good movie is how consistent they are with like the little things mm-hmm. and one of the things i really appreciated about this movie was you know they made all these offhanded references to like oh she's on a pogo stick oh the refrigerator makes noise sometimes that you don't think about but yeah. then of course it comes back to bite him in the ass later and i'm like that you know, a lot, lot checkoffs gun in this. Yes, I think it's but it's great. Yeah, the ending is fine. Like the big uh, finale with them stuck on the truck, and they finally take out the last one. But I think that big set piece in the in the store is the highlight, and I I like it because well, it's not quite campy, and it looks a little undercooked in the terms of like TV film. I think right. I think it's a lot of fun knowing what came from this, like other monster yeah. movies, how it's an homage, you know, so. And then, um, did we talk about the music at all in this, going back to like it being super 90s? Because yeah. I am all about that blues jazz harmonica. It's so 80s <laughs> See, it's, it, when it kicks in in the movie, you're a little worried because you're like, okay, I don't want them to go into too much of a deliverance a stereotype with these backwoods country folk. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, thankfully, they don't really do that. No. Just two but, good dudes in a bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot better than the other slogan. Right. Um, uh, and the fact that, like, well, wait, hang on. So Reba McIntyre yeah. was one of the best characters in the movie. <laughs> And it's odd that she didn't come back for any of the other ones. Right. Where Gummer well, comes back. Because she was yeah. like, I'm going to do music and not yell at puppets. I thought it was interesting. Did they... I know they played a song of hers in the end credits, but like... Oh, they did, didn't they? Oh, yeah. They yeah, but that was it. It was just in the end credits. And I'm like, you couldn't have figured out some way to sneak that in there. Yeah, they could have had it on the background of the radio. We wouldn't have known it was her. Yeah. Oh, there was a fun a nice little homage. Wait, was that an original song for the movie? The one at the end? Yeah. I don't know. I should have looked that up. I didn't realize it was Reba. Yeah. I didn't think about it. 
Because that's what they used to do back then. Was like, At least a, I, I know, hope it was. They made a big song for it. It was in the credits. They still do it. I mean, if anything, like, I, I hope it was Reba. So you're not like, you don't have Reba McIntyre throughout the entire movie and then put some other female country singer <laughs> in at the end. Right. Maybe that's why she didn't come back. <laughs> yeah. I told you not to put Shania Twain in those credits. I'm done. Feel She's right. not real country. Slaps. Trying to read some of these fun facts. Oh, apparently they wanted the one of the writers wanted to get Chuck Norris and Linda Hamilton for Michael Gross and Ruben McIntyre characters. Yeah, that would have been insane. Writing for so crap. Yeah. Well, if you think they killed that one grabber in the basement with overkill with that, all Chuck Norris would have had to do was stare at it and it would have exploded. Yeah. Yeah. His beard would have killed that thing. Oh, I was going to bring up the box office for that week. That's what I was going to do. Uh, so it came out January 19th, 1990. Uh, it did okay considering the time period. Uh, the number one of the box office that week only made $6 million. And relatively, that'd probably be about like 15 these days, 20, which is fine for January, especially then. But yeah. Trump made 3.7. And came fifth place. So it did not do that well. It ended up getting a total of, I think, like 14, was it? I remember discovering on a home video. It made 16.66 million total, and its budget was only 11. So it made it back, but it took a while. And it got the cult classic status from being on a home video later that year. Right. But the number one of the year, or week, was uh, born on the 4th of July, which was a holdover from November. And uh, then there was Tango and Cash, The War of the Rock. So that's two other 89 films. Uh, then last week's, it wasn't number one, but it was its second week, Internal Affairs. I think that got second in its first week, which is okay. a Richard Gere film. Um, it made $5 million the first week for the next. Uh, and it made a total of $27 million. So it was the most successful of the month. But Tremors held strong for 30 years. So. Uh, then there, the rest are all holdovers from 89. Always by Steven Spielberg. Steel Magnolias, The Little Mermaid, uh, Driving Miss Daisy, Back to the Future 2, which we may talk about later this year when its sequel comes out, and uh, Glory. So which should have won Best Picture over Driving Miss Daisy if we have a hot topic. Agreed. We'll probably talk about that in March, too, when the Oscars happen. So. I like the film, the Tremors, so I'd, I'd give it probably... What, what was our grading? Was it letters? Yeah, we did letters. Yeah. Like, school system. I'd give it a B plus. It's a little... It's a B movie. i give it three and a half graboids. <laughs> You gotta do letters, Jeff. Come on. What, Jeff? The grab boys with extra points. Fine. So let's go with the B then. Ooh, I, like I, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was what it was. It made no attempt to hide that. And, you know, it, it, it was fun. I don't know. It was. It's good. I give it a solid A. Yeah? 
Yeah, because you know it's nostalgia and also the uh, replayability as a child in your backyard. Excellent. Yeah, based on what Jimmy's saying, I remember. I mean, as kids, we probably all played lava in the living room where yeah. we go from furniture to furniture. So this is like a uh, a grown-up version of that, I guess. I would. I'd probably give it a B minus. I think maybe uh, time has not been kind to the film based on some of the things that have come on after. I, it's still the best of the franchise, which I'll get into in a second. But uh, I, th I think it's a little underwhelming. I don't know. Maybe I wanted the movie to be a little more gruesome. Because mm -hmm. if they're going to pay homage, I think they need to update it a little bit. Because honestly, this movie probably could have came out in that time period of the 50s excluding some profanity that's actually funny you bring that up it was rated r at first and not for any violence which it could have used a little more uh but it had like 12 uses of fuck in it and they cut it down to two which i think are appropriate like you said with that meme right. um but you can notice like when fred Warder's like that mother lover and it's clearly he's saying motherfucker and they cut it yeah uh, and they're like what's what the shit there's a couple of those. I was wondering about that. I thought it was another Netflix editing scandal. <laughs> I thought they intended to do that and were just like, these guys are nice and are trying to restrain themselves. I thought it was a creative choice. I mean, it's okay. You know, they're just two, two good guys in a bad situation. I hope that's Speaking the of one bad guy in an overall bad situation, Burt Gummer became mm -hmm. the... Uh, the head of the franchise, but not in the second one. The second one, actually, Fred Ward comes back for it. It's called Aftershocks. It was an HBO exclusive. HBO used to do these um, premiere nights for B-movies on Friday nights, and this was one of the, the first ones. Uh, so it's uh, it's Fred Ward. He has a new apprentice, which isn't uh, Kevin Bacon, somebody else. But now the, um, the grab boys have started to evolve, so now they can uh, walk above ground and then in the later f entries they can fly which is yeah. like how we said what what can they fly they're called ass blasters um yeah, they poop eggs yeah boys so they shouldn't have called it they just yeah. straight into that ugly camp but yeah after that they started all going vod and michael gross has made like a huge following for himself based on these movies um they're all, none of them uh, really push the, uh, the grizzliness. So they're all, they all could kind of be almost family friendly horror comedies. That show yeah. was. I mean, they're a little sanitized, which is probably why I wasn't a huge fan of these. But um, the, the third one <clears throat> is still modern day. The fourth one, weirdly, is called Back to Perfection. So he plays one of uh, Bert's ancestors. It's kind of like, almost a like a. It's almost like a Wild West version mm -hmm. of it, which sounds interesting until you see it. Um, and then the, the last couple uh, are basically just graboids in different locales, like Frozen Tundra, Australia, stuff like that. I'm not quite sure where the new one takes place, but oh, now his sidekick is Jamie Kennedy, who the plays his son. Is a most dangerous game ripoff where they're on an island. See, it sounds good in premise, but I'm sure once we see it. But you know who the star of the new one is? Jamie Kennedy? Only in Dynamite himself, John Heater. Oh. Yeah, he's going to be. This might bring me back into the fold. Yeah. 
And Jamie Kennedy, like you said, was in two of them. He was in the Frozen Tundra one, which also had a character. Cold Day in Hell. There was a character that was Valentine's daughter with Rhonda. That's Kevin Bacon and uh, uh. so so they they're saying canonically they stay together, I guess. And yeah, so oddly, this is a horror franchise that lives on through VOD. Yeah, yeah. It was the original. Uh, it, it almost sounds not like nearly. It's not nearly as ambitious as the Child's Play sequels, but or the Hellraiser ones. Mm, Hellraiser, those are some good movies. Um, couple of characters came back. That mom and her daughter came back in uh, the third one with Miguel, who survived too. So yeah. Ariana Richards even came back. Good. So yeah, I mean, not everybody came back. It would have been nice to have that Kevin Bacon. Uh, TV show. It looked interesting, but I don't know that he would have gone on to do uh, that other show that he did on Fox, where he was a cop. The Jeez, following. Yeah, the following. Now he's doing studio. No, on the show. He would have followed following up with Tremor. Yeah. Instead, but now he's he doing a uh, City on the Hill. Yeah. And he has a new movie that came out this week. Thematic. What we had originally proposed was doing a, a movie theme based on something that was coming out that week. And when we went to do this, we chose Tremors and then realized Kevin Bacon had a movie coming out. So I was going to make Jimmy watch some of it last night. And we looked at all the reviews. And it was not good. Not great. I've seen it. You watch it? Oh, tell uh, us. I enjoyed it. Really? Damn. Yeah. Uh, it's Hitchcockian. Hmm. Uh, but um, David Kep, when he's not writing for other people, when he's doing his own stuff, because there's a reunion between the two of them for uh, uh, Stir of Echoes was the last thing they did together. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he creates a really good family unit at the beginning, and it also has a lot of intrigue. I don't want to give too much away because well, he'll put him in the safe. He's good too. Yeah, you want to go in cold. Yeah, but uh, yeah. they give really good performances. Um, I think it's all it's done very plausibly. Uh, it's a little it relies sometimes a little too much on jump scares, but that's part for the. I kind of expected it based on what I was seeing from production photos because this also has a tie back to us. Right, you saw it being edited. Were, they were doing. They had their post production offices at our company, so. Yeah. So we never saw any of the actors because they were done filming. Uh, I heard Kevin Bacon came by once, so I've walked the same halls as him. So it's half... The hallowed halls of Bacon. Yeah, but I did walk by David Kep as he was asking where the closest place to get an espresso was. So, oh, what a trendy Hollywood ass. Like, is there, is there any coffee around here? And I'm like, no, it's Jersey City. And you told him the lobby. That's what I think they ended up doing. <laughs> Not bad coffee in her office. Where's the local Mocha Joe's? Yeah. There is actually a, a good coffee place across the street. It is not that great. But yeah, I would I would recommend people check that out. Okay. Yeah. I We saw that it was $20 and Jimmy had to go to work, so I didn't want to spend $20 on it. That's... But... You're like, I kind of sort of halfway worked have... on it. I shouldn't have to pay $20. Right. You feel that weird about it. Uh, I should have texted you, Corey, and asked because I thought I was going to be the only one that had seen it. You should have texted. I would have watched it. You should have texted. Oh, well. well it's it's uh, based on a book. Did you know that? 
Yes, just like Sir of Echoes was a Richard Matheson story. So when Kep's adapting things, he's very good. Right. It's when he's writing for Spielberg, he's not so good. Well, he adapted Lost World. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, um, shots fired. What? So what happened in the world in January of 1990? I want. Oh, we're gonna skip over the history. Oh yeah, yeah what happened in the world? So, uh, Berlin Wall fell not too long ago. A while back. Yeah, a while back, but like communism is finally dying out, and Russia finally gets its first McDonald's. Romania bans the Communist Party altogether. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Eastern Bloc is yeah, falling. Yeah, the Eastern Bloc is falling. And then, like, all throughout the 80s and 70s, or no, no, not the 70s, all throughout the 80s, there was, like, this one Ukrainian dude that was becoming a billionaire selling, like, in the black market American movies that was uncut. The only editing that was done for it was just a Russian woman translating all the dialogue. That was the only editing that they did. They just... Dubbing or subbing? Uh, uh, dubbing. Dubbing, okay. Um, so, like, they made billions. Like, this dude was, like, uh, bribing uh, officials, police, military, just doing whatever, whatever the fuck he wants. So, like, communism's over, and he's kind of basically out of the business, but still a billionaire, whatever. Well, but, like, uh, in, like McDonald's. Putin was a bootlegger? Like, I, I tried looking this up to see, like, what the reception was for Tremors in Russia, thinking, like, this is going to be, like, the first American, like, sci-fi movie over there that's just new just they can watch it without worrying about being caught they must did they but have I, records that's i'm not i, 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 I don't really have records but like, I'm just like a, but then again that movie probably didn't like get sent there for a, a while maybe uh, i mean i feel like, like a video is the way to tell what went other countries yeah and typically that was like six to eight months later so i wouldn't right. be surprised if just by december Tremors was there. Also, another interesting parallel with what's going on now around the world. Uh, in South Africa, January 1990, the police were, you know, breaking up riots that were protesting the apartheid. Ah. Was Mandela out of jail yet? Uh, one Clinton's president, right? Wasn't it like 93? Yeah, Clinton's president later. It's still, yeah, so apartheid's so, not over yet. Yeah, apartheid's not <laughs> over. Uh, George W. is still in a... Yeah, you should know that. Come on, you saw Lethal Weapon, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. A bunch of other nonsensical things. I don't know. Like, uh... The Leaning Tower of Pisa almost fell over. They had to close it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so they closed it for a little while. Was it years? I forget. You know what? That's another interesting parallel I never compared to what happened in recent events with the uh, uh, the, the cathedral in Paris like burning down. That's, oh, Notre Dame? Uh, yeah, Notre Dame. The most famous. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's <laughs> What's the cathedral in Paris? The we, 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 oh, well, it's not going on, but like in 1990, we almost lost Just a 600-year-old pillar is gone, yeah. and they're just going to replace it with new stuff. It's not exactly. that. I don't know. So I, like I'm, I'm making weird connections. That is an point. interesting yeah. connection. The one thing I wanted to bring up, because the, the Exxon Valdez incident, uh, the oil spill up in Alaska, had happened in 88 or 89, I forget when. But the trial starts in January. <clears throat> and the only reason I wanted to talk about this one was because I mentioned the podcast to Dad 
And I said, we're going to talk about some historical stuff. And, oh, Exxon Valdez's trial started in Anchorage. And he's like, you know, the captain of the ship, the one on trial, lived across from your grandfather after that trial. So I definitely saw the captain of Exxon Valdez oh, across wow. the street wow. visit my grandfather. Because I definitely saw those people. We, like, didn't really wave because it was, like, a long driveway. Yeah. Like, you saw them, though, when you get the mail. So, so I definitely saw that guy. <laughs> he hid up in, well, I, I don't want to say where he is. So. Oh, why are you going to out him? Jesus. No, I'm not going to do it. Well, maybe, maybe he passed away by now. Maybe he's not He alive. might by now. My grandfather died 15 years ago. So I don't know if that guy's even yeah. still there. And he's probably my grandfather's age. Right. He, he did have a drinking problem, didn't he? That's what I hear. Jimmy just likes to project his drinking problems on everybody. I mean, you know, it, I'll I'll tell you when my when it's a problem. I don't have a problem. I don't know if there was anything else. Those were the most interesting things because I did research with all this stuff that we're going to talk about just in case something else interesting. But I feel like the only other big thing was uh, the U.S. invaded Panama because. Ah. Noriega, Noriega was uh, ousted, and so that was when we were like sneaking into countries and saying we were helping, right. instead of actually just saying we're. When it happy. started, you know, we're still kind of doing that. I mean, we were doing it all through the. I mean, we were doing that in Vietnam too. So yeah, I mean, it was going on this whole time. It wasn't the start of it. <clears throat> this was just the Panamanian I mean, one. The banana wars. That's what I mean. The Nicaraguan. Yeah. yeah. Or what was it, Salvador? Salvador. And then, you know, acquiescing the yeah. Philippines. This is just another one. Historical buffs are yelling at you right now. Um, <laughs> so, I have some historical things that happened in television. I was going to talk about like what was going on on TV at the time. Right. Um, the biggest thing I think would almost be interesting. This was it was January twenty first. Was the first episode of MTV's Unplugged. Mm. Oh, that's a seminal show. Um, Nirvana is one of my favorite unplugs, and so is uh, Filter. Yeah, Pearl Jam is my favorite. Pearl Jam's good. When I first heard of them too. So that was the time that grunge started like becoming noticed because yeah. MTV would do these, and people like the broken down acoustic grunge. So. Yeah, Seattle grunge was big back then. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you ever watched Unplugged? you guys uh, i don't remember i probably did and i just didn't think any like much of the title yeah um the other big thing that's important to me because i like sports is that the first nhl game aired on tv since 1980 happened most of the time it was local stations airing their teams so like if you were in western pennsylvania you get the penguins but not in eastern pennsylvania Right. So they didn't have like a national game of the week or anything until 1990. They started airing it on ABC and stuff. And I, I guess that's when syndication started becoming big, right? That's what it was. Syndication would push shows into regular time slots, but like a lot of the cartoons that we watched as a kid, they were syndicated, which meant they just went to WPIX. We didn't realize there was another station out in San Francisco. Well, the three of us were WPIX. I don't know what you had in Philly. But um, you had your own thing. And they probably put them all on at the same time. But if you don't know, like maybe Animaniacs was on at 9 and uh, Tiny Toons was on 9.30. But in San Francisco, it could be switched. Maybe they don't right. even have Tiny Toons if it's not popular there. 
which is why stuff like would have two or three seasons if it wasn't doing well in 80% of markets. But that's what was going on with NHL because it was the fourth biggest sport. It was still um, baseball was America's pastime. Football was rising, but it even then wasn't that big until the 90s. And right. that was always like in the same boat, getting better, but NHL was like non-existent. So um, big thing too was that they only really had three main channels. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC. And Fox was a fledgling station in the 80s. And one of the big things to push them forward as becoming one of the big four was Ed O'Neill guest starred on SNL this month. And huh. that Married was, with Children. He was the star of Married with Children, which was their flagship show. Right. So that was they did the Ben Stiller show, but I don't know at what point that was. It was early 90s and uh, got canceled fairly. Yeah, I don't know when Ben Stiller show was. I feel like 91. Uh, I know it was towards the beginning of Larry Sanders because uh, Gary Shandling had a guest spot on there. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of that, you and I looked into the history of HBO because we were curious when they started doing like big shows. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they had started because they were like the guy that created had like a hotel TV system and he wanted to be able to put it all around New York so they'd be playing the same stuff at the same time. So you could like see a movie that they had gotten the rights to. And so he had the idea while he was on a cruise ship to expand it even further into homes in New York. And he called it like the home box office. So they eventually came up with the name. This is still in the late 70s. And this is interesting to you, Corey. They did the first test of this out in Allentown to try and see if it would work. In the ah. sense that they were trying to project hockey games out to national TV. They were trying to project this cable channel. And so that worked in the 80s. But by the time 1990 rolls around, they had been acquired by Time Warner, which was first formed this month. And that leads to the development of original movies like putting Tremors 2 in, uh, having shows like Larry Sanders. So this is really the The most interesting fact I saw about looking all this up was um, in that test in Allentown, they went door to door like they used to do with the Nielsen ratings. And they asked people if they wanted to try out HBO. And they offered them a free month subscription to try it out and i feel like that's one of the first times they would do that that's what you do now with netflix and disney plus yeah they do free trials all the time which funny story actually this weekend they're having a free trial of uh watchmen the tv oh yeah yeah see like as a promotion to get hbo right um i actually just saw right before we started recording disney plus cut the uh their free trials you can't do free trials oh god so it's gonna go back and forth but Anyway, that's that's what I have for TV. Uh, oh, Miami Vice ended. <laughs> yeah. I never really watched it. I never really watched it, but I, I'm a big fan of the movie. Um, yeah. I mean, this is definitely an 80s show if it ended January 1990. <laughs> right. Like the because last- it was the end that, of the 80s. Was, yeah. yeah, I remember that show was like indicative of the 80s. The hairstyles, the clothing for the most part. People weren't wearing loafers without socks until <laughs> Miami Vice was kind of like a fashion template. It was weird. Yeah. Well, the big uh, people were wearing blazers with t-shirts underneath until that oh, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My college outfit. Yeah, that's true, actually. This he did wear that a lot. Yeah. And then I started wearing all the plaid. Anyway, uh, 
we were trying to do like a segment for everybody. So you did your movies, Corey, you did history, I did TV. I don't know if this is really feasible, but I don't know if you want to try to do music, see what was interesting. The thing about it is none of us are like music guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Session on it is. I, I mean, I did what I could. Uh, I could tell you the top five songs from 1990, even though there's a, a list of wildly more interesting ones that didn't even make it anywhere near the top of that list. I noticed that. I looked at the top 100. So the top five songs in 1990. Number five was Vogue by Madonna. Uh, number four was Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. Um, number three was Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor and written by Prince. Number two was It Must Have Been Love by Roxette, which has haunted my grocery store shopping for decades. Yep. <laughs> it always pops in there. That's what I think of. I think of grocery store shopping, and I hate that. Um, sorry, Roxette. And, sorry, Roxette. <laughs> uh, and number one was Hold On by Wilson Phillips. Oh, that's a good wow. Song. They were still around back then. Yeah. And that was like of of the year. That wasn't just January because oh, okay. the, the only like stuff I saw was Phil Collins. Well, yeah, that's why like the the songs. Well, not that many songs came out in January. Like the big, right. the top one hundred um, ones that came out in January were "Another Day in Paradise" by Phil Collins and "Pump Up the Jam" by Technotronic, <laughs> which is my '90s anthem. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. A lot of these had come out, so this is like week five or something for Phil Collins. So these are all yeah. like these holdovers for the box office, holdovers from '89. So we're not going to really get new stuff until March or April. That's big because stuff interesting that um, Sinead O'Connor was big back then. This is before she had her big blow up on SNL, which kind of sank her career. Yeah, I don't know when that happened. Uh, it was definitely when. Uh, Sandler and Spade were part of the cast because I remember them being there. Yeah. I'll look that up while we talk. But it, was de- it was definitely during the IRA. Mm. So, uh, yeah. It was when the Pope was making controversial statements. Oh, wow. Yeah. On stage in Rhythm. 92. She's two years away from sabotaging her own career. Yeah. Wow. I also did not realize that um, Must Have Been Love was written for Pretty Woman. Oh, it is a March film. It was from from the film. Yeah, we'll get there. Sorry, <laughs> foreshadowing uh, or previews. Now, if it's if it's good, if it's, if, I've I've never seen it, so that'll give me time to watch it before we do that podcast. That's <laughs> um, not going to be the main film that month. No, you should watch it anyway. It's a good movie. I will. Uh, all right, let's see what else. What else came out? Yeah, no, January. It was just like those two big songs opposites tracks came out um by paula abdul with wild pair uh blaze of glory ice ice baby came out in november oh and i was about history to say was my, made i was about to say my 90s anthem is go ninja go ninja go that's yeah that's like 91 i think because that's when TMNT2 comes out. Right. Okay. Um, but, you know, if you guys wanted to jump in 
on anything else involving music, but I also looked up some interesting Broadway stuff. Oh, I heard that. Yeah. Um, well, as far as things that came out, and I mean, January is a terrible time for theater to start up. Um, but the notable things that came out that year or that were released were um, An Evening with Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> ran on Broadway. Once on this island, ran oh. first time, which yeah, got revived. Yeah, that was the revival. Just happened. Um, I think it was like twenty seventeen, and then it ran until I think it's closed now. But I, I mean, everything's closed now. But it, you know, I think it's anyway. supposed think to. It, it was definitely just shuttering on February something. Right. Um, Annie two. There was a sequel. To Annie. What could possibly I, I'm trying to find out. I literally just heard about this last night, and I need to find out more for next time, because it closed on the road. Like, it existed. It workshopped. It toured. And somewhere along the tour, it just fell into a ditch, and I need to find out what happened with that. Um... And also, it's interesting that we keep talking about Kevin Bacon on this podcast because another play that premiered in 1990 was Six Degrees of Separation. Ah, that would get adapted, what, a couple of years later? I think it was 93. Was okay. 90. So, but the play what? came out in 1990 and then set the stage for all of these other Kevin sure. Bacon roundabout joke games. Yeah. It's all about the bacon. What's your bacon number, Jimmy? Seven. I could eat like five right now. Five Kevin Bacons? Yes. That's He's so very cool. lean. Yeah. He is and very lean. Now. It's a throwback to something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was you know, the big news in Broadway at that point. Cool. We, we need to uh, follow up on this Annie 2 thing. I I, yeah, I'm going to next month. <laughs> <laughs> That's your homework. <laughs> so I only bring this up because it happened. I'm not going to bring up sports every time, but if something significant happens, like January is when the Super Bowl happens. I'm just going to bring up the fact that it happened. Uh, but it was San Francisco. Yes. San Francisco 49ers win 55 to 10 over the Denver Broncos. It was and still is the biggest uh, difference. Blowout. Yeah, it's a blowout. Landscape, landslide victory. The highest amount of points any team has ever gotten in a Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, it was their second consecutive win. Uh, Denver's fourth loss ever and San Francisco's fourth win. Uh, now they've also like evened out since then. But um, Joe Montana won his third MVP, which was a record until Tom Brady broke it three years ago. Mm, right. He gets the MVP like every fucking time. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Don't be don't bitter towards Tommy. None of us like the Patriots here. The Patriots don't be bitter towards Tommy. Eh. I have no team. He's in Florida. I don't know what gives a shit. 
uh, and the Sugar Bowl happened, which is like the championship for college. It was mm -hmm. the Miami Hurricanes and over the Alabama Crimson Tide, 33-25. The only interesting thing I will bring up about that is that I know you like the Cowboys, but your hometown team drafted their uh, quarterback, Craig Erickson. Okay. And he, sure it lived. he lasted like a season and then went down to Tampa like Tom and yeah. did better there like two years in. Right. So, I never heard of him. I never heard of any of these guys. I was gonna say. I was gonna say that had to be short lived. Because, uh, and the tight end for the winning team ended up coaching the Browns when uh, they were trying to come back into mattering in football, and it did not work. Mm. Back in 2013. So that's all I got for sports. And of course, that NHL game was cool. What? So flashing so forward. Oh, I do have births and deaths. I don't know if we want to do this every time, but I thought it'd be interesting to showcase the fact that someone famous now was born in the 1990s because we have oh, a lot of stars yeah. that are, you know. Really going to date us now. We're, we're going to feel really old. Do we, yeah. I mean, um, do we want to put ourselves through that? Oh, well, we will get weird in January or July, but. Oh, uh, yeah, no. <clears throat> So the biggest name in January that was born in January 1990 is Liam Hemsworth, the third best Hemsworth brother. Uh, I don't know if anyone likes him here. What's your favorite Liam Hemsworth film? Spendables 2. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's in it for five minutes and then gets killed off. Yeah, jeez. I actually have to work that I have to look this up. <laughs> Hunger I mean, Games, I guess, yeah, I guess that's what he's most well known for. Luke's better on hun Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. He's good in Hunger Games. That's about it. He was in Independence Day. We're surgeons. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a couple of famous people died in January 1990, like Ava Gardner, uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Ladies of the 40s and 50s. Arthur Kennedy uh, was a big name. He was like a big character actor in the 60s. The biggest one, I think, is Alan Hale, the skipper from Gill Gilligan's Island. Mm. No, I do. Yeah. It's a shame. So, all I got on that. They're, they're going to get more interesting. <laughs> Surely. So. Yeah. Um, flashing forward, uh, we're each going to give our picks of the month uh we're gonna recommend movies either uh, contemporary or old right yeah whatever you just, uh, anything we've been watching that we want to recommend to uh yeah. our audience yeah um i think a contemporary one that i saw this month that i would recommend is uh king of staten island oh interesting um it's uh it's the formulaic um structure of most Judd Apatow movies where somebody has Peter Pan syndrome during the rest of development. They're kind of a slacker, which it's, it takes cues from Pete Davidson's autobiographical tidbits. Uh, his dad was a firefighter, died in 9-11. Uh, they don't mention 9-11 in this. He died in a fire that had nothing to do with that. Event. Um, but uh, it actually, it gives a showcase to actors who aren't really known for their dramatic chops, like Bill Burr is fantastic in the movie. Um, he has actually really good 
romantic chemistry with Marissa Tomei. Um, and Pete Davidson actually comes off as pretty affable, despite some of the heinous things that he does throughout the movie. Um, and it weirdly, it it's not as overtly comedic as some of the other Judd Apatow movies. He seems to be veering more in a, a little more of a dramatic direction than this one. But uh, having said that, in scenes when Pete Davidson is hanging out with his stoner friends, the ad-libbing is fantastic. But it's not, it doesn't abuse the linorama trope that's becoming commonplace nowadays. So yeah, I would recommend that. Popularizing 40-year-olds. I do want to see that one. Um, was that it, Corey? Do you have anything else? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. We, uh, um, well, having to also do with the 90s and something that I'm sure we'll get into in future shows, I finally saw I, Tanya, ah. which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's got all of the best parts of a biography or a biopic mixed with a heist movie of the worst possible fashion. Uh, and I learned a lot about it because I did not know um, the whole story. I mean, obviously no one knows the whole story, but the, this this movie did help me uh, you, you, you have more sympathy. More context. Context. That's the, that's the word. Um, but the acting is great and the story is great and the way that they executed it was like, I was still thinking about this movie like three days after watching it. Like it was just, it sits with you and you know, I'm, I'm, a huge proponent of biopics and they're like my favorite genre of film and I don't know it's really good and it's only like it's a little over two hours but you know it's definitely worth it yeah I remember Tristan put this on his top 10 that year I think, I think right? it's a little underrated I gotta watch it again only two years ago though yeah <clears throat> Uh, Allison Jenny won the Oscar. Mm -hmm. yeah. She's in Big Night, in fact. I know I keep bringing that up. Which is a film you're not going to talk about. Apparently. That is not my recommendation. Yes, but it, is. it could be yours. What's no. your recommendation? What's mine? Ah, crap. He watches pretty much everything I watch. Yeah, so. pretty much. So it's like, I feel like whatever I recommend, probably going to be what you recommend. You never know. I mean, also, I. Did you read anything? Did Let's read be honest, Jimmy. You watched Debbie Does Dallas for the tenth time. I, you know, as much as I talk about that movie, I've never seen it. Maybe we're I not, should. We're not reviewing that one. Well, uh, we can't. Yeah, I've never seen it. Not a '90s film. You're, uh, you're not a '90s film. No. Well, uh, I guess I'll just go with my pick. Unless yes, you no. have anything. Wait, does it have to be '90s? Or no, any or oh wait, that's right. You meant month. oh, uh, Spartacus. I mean, that was last month. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw that for the first time, and that movie was 
fantastic. Uh, make makes the show look like garbage. Wow. I shouldn't have watched the show first. I mean, you'd think if I watched the I show. I almost don't even associate it with the show. It's completely different. Yeah, the show has nothing to do with it. Like, I know. I know. It's just trying to like make an excuse for gore and sex. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're yeah. just. It's a Game of Thrones ripoff. 300 sequel, but a TV show. That's more of what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of trip to try and be HBO on their own since Stars was starting to do the original programming. Not great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Spartacus. Spartacus. Uh, so I have something that just came out that I watched this month. Uh, it's a little film called Becky. Ah, yes. Hoping you're gonna talk about this. Thank you. See, I was holding on to it because I knew you'd be excited that I saw it. Yeah, um, I saw this as well. I don't know that you two even know about it, Jeff and Jimmy, but uh, it's kind of an indie thriller that stars exploitation film. Yeah, stars uh, Kevin James as a neo-Nazi prisoner that breaks out of his prison transport with some guys, and he's trying to search for something that we don't know why it's there or maybe this was a house of his before he went in. They right. never explained that, which is maybe the best part. Um, but he goes and terrorizes a family, which the only person I knew was Joel McHale as the father. But there's right. his daughter, Becky, kind of fights back against these prisoners. So that's it. There's nothing else to say about it. You just you should just see it. It's, it's a good change of pace for Kevin James, he comes off intimidating and menacing. He doesn't he doesn't feel the need to drop his voice a couple octaves to make it sound more intimidating. Yeah, he did that with his beard, which is like Jeff's was during the pandemic. Yeah. Beard. Uh, but he's also clean shaven and has like a swastika on the back of his head. So Kevin James is trying to shirk that King of Queens identity. I will warn people if you're squeamish, I don't know if I'd watch this. Yeah, there are some gross things in this. <laughs> Yeah. Her face is covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason. I'm just looking at the screen, guy. Yeah. Um, but that little girl that plays Becky, phenomenal. Really good. Yeah, really good. No, McHale plays it straight, too. He's another guy who's known for comedy. He plays it straight, yeah. too. Community and everything. Um, he's got a great part. Yeah. And it's just, it's tight the whole way through. Like, there's no weird fat to, like... Not hermetic. Through. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're there immediately and you're not going to spend too much time there because it's very, it's an urgent film. Yeah. Uh, it's got little nods to Die Hard too. They correspond to each other through walkie talkie. Uh, um, she's I systematically see killing off the bad guys. I want to see it now. It's real good. You sold me. Real good. Kevin James in a dramatic role. You sold me. My favorite movie of the year so far. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. I would put it up there, yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, next month, we have not decided yet. I don't know if we should put a poll out or we're, we're – you know what? I think we were talking about just choosing after we finish recording. But we'll, we'll say what we're going to talk about. I don't know if we want to. Maybe it'll be a surprise once you see yeah. the episode is posted. So, I Hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, hopefully, if you haven't seen Tremors, makes you want to see it. Obviously, we spoiled everything. So yeah. uh, maybe you'll just be listening to this because you liked Tremors and wanted to hear our thoughts. But we'll be taking this month by month 
and uh, going on this journey through this undiscovered decade. Cool, man. Yeah. As always, subscribe and leave comments.